first coming attractions. Before you go out and spend money on that new movie or digital media, make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll take you behind the scenes, interview celebrities, and review new movies, TV shows, and digital releases. Now, here are your hosts from Kids First Coming Attractions. Hi, I'm your host, Ashley Clyde from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. And on today's show, we'll be talking about the new release of High School Musical The Musical Season 4, Golda, and interviews with the cast and crew of American in Odyssey to 1947 and The Hill. To start us off, let's talk with Madeline about the new release of High School Musical The Musical Season 4. Hey, Madeline, can you tell us a little bit about what High School Musical The Musical The Series is about? So High School Musical, the musical, the series is about a bunch of high schoolers going to school in the place where High School Musical, the movie, was filmed. Then there's all of the high schoolers, in most of them anyways, are in the drama club, and a lot of them like performing. In season four, there is a huge announcement that there's going to be another high school musical movie with the drama club kids involved. Very interesting. And with a season four, I presume that they have the ability to add more drama and character development throughout the series. How do you think that they continue to add drama throughout this series, being that, you know, we have a season four? Well, it started from like the kids coming back from the last season aka the camp and everyone it was still hectic and throughout the season the stuff that happened in the camp was kind of like gone through and definitely enhanced and there was definitely lots of character enhancement and drama interesting and this particular series is obviously known for its musical performances. So were there any standout musical numbers in season four that captured, I guess, the essence of the show while also, you know, pushing the limits of a stereotypical musical? Totally. There was a Halloween special that had, of course, um, a little song break in it. And the very first episode, I enjoyed both of these And they both enhance the storyline, adding whatever words that they had in their song into the script. And I thought that was pretty cool. Hmm. Interesting. Were there any, like, unexpected plot twists in season four that caught you off guard? Yes, there definitely were. But I don't think I can say some of them because some of them are spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Totally get that. I must say it was shocking and very fun to watch and you just want to watch the episodes over and over again to see all the little things and you also want to watch the next one. Awesome. And the original High School Musical franchise has, you know, a dedicated fan base like me and I haven't watched this series before, but how does the overall series as well as season four, you know, play or pay homage to like its roots? Well, also carving out like its own identity. I think that it's super fun that they added the original cast of High School Musical into it in the wow. first episode of season four. Not really? only it, not cool. in Gabby Lara, Gabby Hera, sorry. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was pretty cool. And 
it also had some characters that weren't in the first in the movies. Like mm-hmm. different character types. There wasn't any Sharpays. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's so interesting. <laughs> well, what was your age ra- rating for this particular show? I'd say 12 to 18 plus adults. And what is your star rating and when and where can we see this this series? Definitely five out of five stars. You can see it on Disney Plus. It's out now. Well, thank you so much, Madeline. It was nice talking to you. You too. I will definitely be watching the first season and then I'll eventually tell you once I binge everything how (laughs) season four is. Great. Now let's switch it over to Daniel to talk about the movie Golda. Welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions, Daniel. So happy to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining us back on the show. So today we're going to be diving into the film Golda. Can you start by giving our listeners a brief overview of the film and its central idea? Of course. So in 1973, Egypt, Syria, and Jordan launched an attack on Israel, which sparked the 19-day Yom Kippur War. So the Golda is about Helen Mirren, who plays uh, Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir as she deals with the consequences and conflict of the war with her cabinet. And it's just about her struggle to protect the people of Israel. So, Daniel, I know a little bit about the Yom Kippur War of 1973, as it was like a pivotal moment in our in in history in general. How effectively did the film capture the tension and the nature of those 19 days? Uh, They did it very well. There was a lot of um, stress and characters. You can see the anxiety on their faces throughout the film. And just, yeah, there's so much tension which really um, conveys the gravity of the situation. Hmm. Very interesting. And obviously this film is named Golda after Golda Mier. Is that how her last name's pronounced? Mayer. Mayer. Thank you. So obviously she was a prominent figure in Israeli politics. How did the film portray her leadership style and also personal struggles during this, this period? So they, they showed... They showed like two sides of her. So while they showed that she was just a very fearless and bold and patriotic leader, they also showed that um, the war itself had a big effect on her and really um, brought her a lot of anxiety. But she pushed through to really help her people. Very interesting. And and I would, you know, presume, you know, obviously without any spoilers, but from from what you're telling me about Golda, I can presume that um, even just her as a as a character, but um, in, in war, but also as a woman, she must have dealt with some skeptical people who um, of her, you know, taking on a leadership role. Can you share with us a little bit about the the politics behind her leadership? Definitely. So um, you talked about how she was a woman. So her cabinet was, she was pretty much working with all men. So I feel she had to um, break through that barrier to um, stand up for her country. So that was definitely 
a big part in the film. Hmm, very interesting. And even though this film is about you know the Yom Kippur War that happened um, in the nineteen seventies, how do you feel、um, this film could be prevalent or I should say re- relevant、um, in in our day and age? Well, I find that in its core, it's really、um, a film about unity.、Uh, we live in a pretty divided world, and it's about coming together and caring for one another, and that's that's very relevant to today. Wow, that's that's great that you brought up. Uh, the divisiveness that totally makes sense, and、um, I want to hit on just this last one of the last questions is from the conversation that we're having. I feel like this film balances politics, so that political intrigue with also a human side of this war. How did this film succeed in really connecting you as a viewer with the personal experiences、um, of, of individuals affected by the war's consequences? Yeah.、Um, so it was as much as it was about the politics. It was a film about loss. And grief, and just the fear of the war. So I just could, I could just really empathize with these characters and how they felt during this time, and they did that magnificently. Very interesting. Well, Daniel. Well, as we're wrapping up, can you give us a、um, star rating for this film?、Um, I give Golda three out of five stars. Very interesting. And can you give us an age rating? And when and where can we view Golda? So I recommend Golda for the ages twelve to eighteen, and it can be viewed on August twenty fifth, twenty twenty three, in theaters. Well, thank you so much, Daniel, for your review of Golda. It sounds like a very interesting film. Thank you so much. I'm Ashley Clyde from Washington D.C., and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll listen to more awesome reviews and interviews. Stay tuned. Follow Voice America at facebook.com/forward/slash/voiceamerica for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages eight to eighteen that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First film critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. 
Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Welcome back to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm Ashley Clyde from Washington, D.C., and we're talking with Ishan about American and Odyssey to 1947. How are you, Ishan? Great. How are you, Ashley? I am amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about American and Odyssey to 1947? Sure. So the best way I can explain it is it's like uh, spending a semester in AP U.S. history, uh, but take out all the boring parts. (laughs) The film takes viewers through the first half of the 20th century, and it tracks a bunch of different stories. The two most prominent ones are the the life and times of Susan Cain star Orson Welles. And uh, the second story, which takes up the second part of the of the film, is the Japanese, the Japanese American internment camps and their sort of experience. And the way that director Danny Wu kind of framed it to me, he said, one is about Orson Welles leaving the country because he ends up just leaving at some point. And the other is about the Japanese Americans that, you know, Wu has interviewed them coming into the country. So it's exiting and entering at the same time. So that's kind of the the conceptual arc of the film. That's very interesting. The An interesting take that that he had on that. And what's also interesting is in AP US history, from, from what I experienced, we didn't really delve into the uh, the Japanese experience in the 1940s, particularly pertaining to the Japanese internment camps, which were a pivotal moment for a lot of minorities during that time, which is very interesting. And and to your point with your, you did interview Danny Wu, the director of this film, which is super cool. He wore multiple hats, apparently. You know, he was a writer, director, editor, producer. How do you think he balanced these roles? Like, do you, what, what inspiration... Um, and personality did he bring to the film to have all these hats? I think it's it's audacious for any director, much less a director who this is this is Wu's first film on the festival circuit. So he's wow, pretty wow. new to the pretty new to the world of filmmaking. He's only twenty seven, and he the the <laughs> film that he made to break into this kind of industry uh, was broadcast on CNN's affiliate N One, and it was made in his year wow. in China during the pandemic. So. That's a that's a totally separate story, but essentially that sort of audacious nature, the sort of you know risk taking, um, the the sort of daring nature of you know of of Wu's craft, I think really translates itself into this film through the fact that he has multiple different storylines that are kind of running concurrent to one another. As I said, it's not just Orson Welles or not just the Japanese Americans in internment camps. Um, he uses, I mean, he includes the relationships between, you know, media magnate William Randolph Hearst and President mm-hmm. FDR, talks about FDR's great achievements and FDR's not so great achievements. And it's it's a lot of information packed in there, but it'll never feel overwhelming and there will definitely not be a dull moment. Um, but it's an it's a very uh, unique construction. And I think that's part of where his his uh, unique lens comes in. As well as I think the way he tackled the Japanese American angle, um, for himself being a being a Chinese Canadian. Interesting, and and 
I don't know, I haven't seen your interview yet, but um, I'm wondering what was the inspiration behind making, um, I would assume Orson Welles is the centralized story of this film. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, so there's the, it's the, the uh, of the two parts. Um, so Orson Welles is the first part, as I said, and Japanese Americans are the second part. Um, but he was inspired by Orson Welles. I think his his story goes that he was trying to break into the world of filmmaking. He found a a series uh, of these like must watch films that was put together, uh, if I'm not wrong, by Robin Williams. I'm not sure, uh, or somebody. And uh, he watched almost all of them. And among them was a four films like, you know, uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Um, and of course, Citizen Kane, because Citizen Kane is, is you know, among the holy grail of films. Um, yeah. So he watches it and he's, uh, his reaction was both fascination and also astonishment that such a feat, you know, it essentially the film for background, for those who don't know what Citizen Kane is, and if you don't, Hundred percent. Please go watch it. It's a it's it's a monumental film, uh, but the background is that it's a film about William Randolph Hearst, one of America's biggest media magnets, uh, or mm-hmm. I guess it's loosely based around him. But we can consider it essentially about him. Um, and it's it's a great portrait of America in the nineteen forties, America in these decades where, you know, we were you know trying to find our footing really, and uh, or we had found our footing and had lost it immediately, and we're trying to regain it back. Um, and so it's a very, very, very uh, cool film. And so I 100% see where his his inspiration came from. Very interesting. And can you give me an age rating, a star rating, and when and where can we see this film? Because so, it's so intriguing the way you're describing it. So I definitely want to see it. Sure. So American and Odyssey for, to 1947. Um, so I give the film five out of five stars and recommend it for ages 12 to 18 plus adults. The film premieres on digital on September 12th, and you can watch it in select theaters. I think it begins in New York on September 8th, and it'll play um, in theaters through the fall. Well, thank you so much for that interview, um, Ishan. Now I want to transition into another film that you reviewed that's also based on a true story. And also, I would I would assume... Uh, creates an idea of the American lifestyle. So you reviewed the movie The Hill. Can you tell us a little bit about what this film is about? <laughs> I'll give you a background on how I entered the film first. You know, okay. I saw in the in the two, three line synopsis that you're new were, were given in our press releases, I saw the word Texas. Um, and I said, yep, I'm taking it. I'm a Houstonian myself. <laughs> and I take a lot of Texas films just because I love the state. Um, yeah. But so The Hill is a story, uh, the true story of Ricky Hill. Um, and he's played by Colin Ford. Um, and Ooh. he's a kid from this poor Baptist family. His dad is a preacher. They go from town to town in rural Texas. And it's a true story. And I actually, I spoke to the real Ricky Hill last week. Um, and, wow. you know, as part of my interview. Um, but the story is about Hill's dream of becoming a baseball player. And from a young age, he's had issues with his spine, with his legs. His dad actually makes him wooden braces uh, because they're wow. too poor to afford proper medical braces. Um, so he finds out how it's done, makes it for him. But at the same time, the dad doesn't really support his passion for baseball because he says, you're just going to get hurt and you're going to keep getting hurt, getting hurt. Also, the dad just wants him to be a pastor like him, be a preacher like him. Um, because he thinks that he has been called to a higher purpose. Uh, so it's essentially part of it is 
um, Hill's struggle with his dad. Part of it is Hill's struggle to find, again, as we talked about in the previous, you know, uh, the review that we just did about his identity, his place, um, and and pursuing his passion. And so it's a, it's a really beautiful film. Very interesting. And I want to hit on the, the idea of his father being a pastor um, and the idea of faith. Um, and you can, um, you know, obviously, you know, we, there's no spoilers on this podcast, unfortunately, because I would love to know, but I'll watch the film instead. Um, I can obviously sense a feeling of conflict of maybe the father having um, his own faith in a higher being and Ricky having faith in his own journey. Does Ricky have a conflict of having his father to have um, not only faith in God, but also faith in in him. I think Ricky, so the line that is used in the film is, I don't just have uh, a gift for preaching because he's he's able to like quote Psalms, hymns, um, you know, biblical, you know, passages, yeah. everything from the top of his head. So that is a definitely a talent that he has. But he says, I don't just have one talent. God has given me two talents. And the second talent that he's given me is baseball. So I should have just the right, the same, you know, uh, ability yeah. to pursue baseball as I do preaching. And so, you know, why don't I, why can't I just pursue this sport? So he does have faith. It's not a matter of he doesn't have faith in God. Um, right. It's that he does. But at the same time, he wants his dad to see that this passion is real. And this kid is, he's like nine or 10 in his childhood sequences. And as he goes through the years, the, the struggle remains. You know, he's overcome all these illnesses, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously there's there's some element of, of, of you know, the word is kismet, the word is fate, you know, that yeah. that comes into it. Um, so it's it's really an, uh, a very, very, very well depicted struggle between faith and passion. And were there any standout moments that particularly, you know, resonated with you? I think that the, the childhood scenes, so, you know, one of my favorite actors, Dennis Quaid, is uh plays plays Ricky's dad in the film but I actually had to kind of keep him in second place because the number <laughs> one uh the number one actor in the film is Jesse Berry and Jesse Berry is a child actor and he plays the young fiery Ricky who's like nine ten years old as they move to this new town and he's the guy he's the kid who says you know what I'm gonna go play with the town kids and I'm gonna show them exactly how great I am yeah. even if I have these wooden things all around my legs and I, you know, if I lose my balance and I fall, I get excruciating pain because of this leg issue I have, you know, I can barely stand straight because of the generative, the degenerative spinal disease. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just, it's a, such a riveting portrayal of, 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 a of a young, passionate athlete. All right. And Colin Ford plays in this film, correct? Yes. My next question for you is um, casting plays a crucial role in like really bringing these real life figures um, to the big screen. So how did the actors performances contribute to the, I guess, the realness of the characters in The Hill? I mean, I think first and foremost, even before we talk about performances, we talk about scripts and we talk about yeah. story construction and that is flawless. Um, the dialogue yeah. is real and raw. And I love how every so every cast member talking now now transitioning to performance, every cast member has these very authentic Texas accents, which I really appreciate. Um, it's not overdrawn. It's not uh, it's not cartoonish. I appreciate right. it. Um, Dennis Quaid is amazing. 
he's a superstar. You know, you'll want to scream your head off at him, you know, at some point. <laughs> you'll you'll want to be like, why, man, why? And other times, <laughs> you'll actually consider where he's coming from. And you'll, you know, kind of uh, try to, you know, as much as you can to try to understand where he's coming from. Despite the fact that the film doesn't really explore too much of exactly why does he want his son to be a pastor so badly. Right. Um, but Jesse Berry, as I said, is amazing. Even Colin Ford. Uh, Colin Ford, I felt, could have gotten a bit more screen time. Um, could be controversial. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, he has uh, a bit of a limited role. It's a couple of scenes toward the end. And I think he kind of ties everything together at the end. He does a pretty good job, too. But 100%, I think, Dennis Quaid and Je- Jesse Berry lead the film. Very interesting. And I honestly, I just... I love how you describe all the movies that you review, but this this particular movie also does stand out um, from the rest. So with that being said, what is your star rating for this film? All right. So I give The Hill five out of five stars and wow. recommended for ages 12 to 18 plus adults. Again, similar to the previous one. And The Hill releases on August 25th, 2023 in theaters. So definitely... Go check it out if you're a sports fan, a drama fan, uh, (laughs) looking for a good family film. I mean, I wouldn't exactly call it a biographical film. Definitely not a documentary, but it it possibly a a biographical film. So definitely whatever you're looking for, definitely go watch it and you'll be rewarded. (laughs) Very interesting. Well, thank you so much, Ishan. Of course. Great to chat with you. You too. I'm Ashley Clyde from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll listen to more awesome reviews and interviews. Stay tuned. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First film critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Ashley Clyde from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. 
Hi everyone, I'm Ishan reporting for Kids First, and today I'm super excited to chat with Danny Wu, director of American and Odyssey to 1947. During the pandemic, Wu stayed in Chengdu, China with his family and created a 22-minute short program titled My Life in China During the Pandemic, subsequently broadcast by CNN affiliate N1. American on Odyssey to 1947 is his first film to enter the film festival circuit. Super excited to chat with you today, so thank you so much, Mr. Wu, for speaking with me. Uh, the privilege is all mine. I'm always interested to hear why filmmakers are drawn to documentaries.、Um, since I think all your films so far are documentaries, what drew you to the style in the first place? Um, I think it's more of a is it. it Just accessibility, you know. Documentaries, you know, as you can tell,、um, there's not much barriers to entry, right? For a feature film, narrative feature film, there's going to be you're gonna you're gonna need a lot of big budget to make that happen. But as you can see, as I've been seeing, you know, for documentary, we've been on the circuit all year, and you know, there were complete films shot with iPhone these days. You know, people people got that technology in in their pocket now, and so I think what drew me to documentaries is just the the ease of being able to make one. And I actually started making YouTube videos, and so it was a it was a kind of cool transition to go from that to documentary filmmaking, and you know, be able to carry a lot of the lessons I've learned、um, from making YouTube videos. And、um, but mainly, I think. Um, just as an artist, it was the easiest thing to get into, and the subjects、um, that interested me. Awesome! And diving more specifically into that, what inspired you to create American and Odyssey in nineteen forty-seven? Oh, as you stated earlier, during the pandemic, you know, I said to myself, if I'm really going to get into this filmmaking thing,、um, I better. I got a lot of catching up to do. You know, I wasn't a film film major, stuff like that. That I think I found、um, a list by Spike Lee, and、um, one of the first films I watched was Citizen Kane. You know, and that film just drew me in. Like, I was so absorbed in that film. I'm not sure. Have you seen Citizen Kane before? I have. Yes. Yeah.、Um, I know it can get dull at times, but you know, when I first watched it, it was really it was a mind blowing experience. That you know, in the four in 1941, they were able to do things like this with the camera. And so, as I watched all the other movies, the movie that I kept coming back to was Citizen Kane. And when I learned more about Citizen Kane and about the filmmaker Orson Welles,、um, I realized that you know, so this guy made a film. And he was basically ran out of the country, and no one's talking about it, and no one knows about this. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to make a film about that. I didn't actually want to make a film about that. I wanted to make a YouTube video about it. Like, I really just wanted to make like a 15 minute YouTube video about Orson Welles and how he was driven out of the country. And so,、um, as I started making this YouTube video, I was like, you know, maybe I should just start interviewing some people who are knowledgeable about the situation. And as that grew. I realized that first of all, you know, the story is much bigger than、um, Orson Welles and William Randolph Hearst, and two that I wanted to make it into a documentary. And so we had a problem at that point because it was in the middle of the pandemic, and we weren't allowed to travel. I'm from Canada, and all the interviews that I had to do were in the U.S., and so I had to wait for the vaccine to come out. 
And then as soon as I got my second dose, you know, it went to the U.S., went on a long road trip to get everyone interviewed. And so, you know, the process just became um, extremely, extremely rewarding. And, um, you know, that's how we got to where we are today. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, tell me more about like what exactly about his his story, Orson Welles' story, because I know that takes up a large part of the film. Um, it's almost half and half, right? I mean, uh, the first half is largely the story of Orson Welles. Um, what do you think will resonate with kids? Uh, what's something, what, what are the things that kind of caught your attention? I think about Orson specifically, you know, I think it's just the fact that, as you see in the film, he was so directly or indirectly involved in so much of U.S. politics at that point, right? With the New Deal, you know, with World War II, and with the um, with the McCarthyism, the blacklist, right? Orson was pretty much involved in everything there, and he kind of spearheaded the radio movement in the U.S. And so we wanted to we wanted to create the timeline of Orson. From, from Orson leaving, right? We start with him leaving, go back to the beginning, and then go back all the way to him leaving again in 1947. And then weave stories in between that of the cultural context at that time. Um, personally, a lot of the docu- like historical documentaries I watch is just one timeline. And to me, that like kind of gets dull. Um, so we wanted to make sure we have a few other stories um, to go along with it. And um, for me, one of the most interesting things about Orson, again, that drew me into him is his relationship with um, President Frank- Franklin Roosevelt. And, you know, when I look online, there's not much written about it. So, you know, I had to study a lot about that to to find out what, what's going on there. And I realized that, you know, if I'm going to put Franklin Roosevelt into the movie, you know, it's about all the great things he has done, we would also kind of be whitewashing, you know, some of the some of the crimes that he's also committed, so and so crimes he's committed. And so I realized that as an Asian American, um, Asian Canadian, but it is my also it's also my um duty to you know talk about the Japanese internment camp, right? So that's how we get the third storyline of Howard Kakita. And the interesting with Howard Kakita is that his story is a story of him coming back to the U.S. So we have the story of Orson, how what drew him out of the U.S., and then parallel to that is Howard, what brought him back to the U.S. So at the end, it's one person leaving and one person um, coming back. So that was kind of what was going on in my mind, in my mind at that time, that this wouldn't just be a documentary solely about Orson Welles, but kind of like a timepiece, an artifact of the era in general. Sure. Yeah. No. And that's that's a very interesting thought process. Actually, now I'm reframing it. Kind of as one person entering, one person leaving. Very cool. Um, so, in the whole process of putting together the film, um, what was the most special moment? Whether it's an interview, whether it's like coming up with archival footage, whatever. Okay, I'll talk about one in production and one in post production. I think one in production is when we got Simon Callow to say yes to do in our documentary. Wow. Um, Simon Callow, he you know, big time actor. Um, I was able to get a hold of his email. So it was a complete shot in the dark, the email I I, I sent him. And um, he replied a few days later saying, um, yes, he would love to do it. That was 
you know, I was on cloud nine for like a few, a few days. Um, in post-production, I think once we started submitting to the film festivals and, you know, we didn't have luck for the first half year, right? We get into Newport Beach Film Festival and then, you know, I thought that was kind of it, right? You know, we get into a solid mid-tier film festival. At the end of um, 2022, like just right around New Year, I remember this so clearly. I was wa- I was rewatching Argo for some reason. Um, and then I I look I look in my email and the famous film critic Jonathan Rosenbaum, he put our film on his ear end list for oh, best wow. films of 2022. And you know, it was just I just remember seeing the list. It was like Banshees, um, Fablemans, American and Odyssey 7047. <laughs> I was just I I like that that kind of changed my life, you know. And then a few days afterwards, we got an invitation to screen at the Thessaloniki Documentary Festival. And to to be able to get in there, you know, in 2023, it was just, it was an incredible moment. So I think those are the, the moments that I really cherish. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Wu, for chatting with me today. It's uh, It's been super cool to get the behind the scenes view of American Odyssey 1947. Um, and to our viewers, American Odyssey 1947 releases in theaters on September 8th and on digital on September 12th. So definitely go and check it out. I'm Ashley Clyde from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll listen to more awesome reviews and interviews. Stay tuned. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First Film Critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Ashley Clyde from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Hi, I'm Ishan reporting for Kids First, and today I'm super excited to be chatting with baseball legend Ricky Hill and director Jeff Celentano about The Hill, a biopic about Mr. Hill's life story. 
Mr. Celentano has directed nine lauded films, including Say It in Russian, Breaking Point, and Glass Jaw. Mr. Hill was raised in Texas, woohoo, a fellow Texan, I'm from Houston myself, and he overcame his physical disability for his talent in baseball, playing in the Major League for the Montreal Expos and later the Grace Harbor Loggers, champions of the Northwest League in 1978. So thank you so much, both of you, Mr. Celentano and Mr. Hill, for chatting with me today. Thank you, Sean, for having me. Let's start with Mr. Celentano. So as a director, what aspects of the story drew you to the Hill? Um, you've, have you seen the film, Sean? Yes. All those aspects. <laughs> no, kidding. What drew me to the movie was the night I read the script. Um, it was cra- the story was crafted in such a beautiful way that it just broke. It just broke my heart. It just got into my heart. You know, it just um, attached itself to me uh, like glue. And uh, it was the fact that this little boy had everything against him. He was being bullied. He wore leg braces. He was crippled. His father was against him playing baseball. He had a love for baseball because. Uh, as a child, he was very bored and he would go out on these railroad tracks as they had no money and he would hit rocks all day long. And Ricky told me he hit 2000 rocks a day. And after he got finished, that um, next transition was obviously baseball. So here's a kid with um, leg braces out on a, you know, sandlot game trying to play baseball and kids are calling him robot boy. And, hey, do you want me to bury in the graveyard or the junkyard? You know, things like that. But he would just he would just get back up off the ground when he fall down and smile and hit that ball. He didn't care. And he never stopped. He just believed in himself and he had a, a will and a passion for this game that he was going to, you know, make sure he succeeded. So there was something I always am attracted to stories about people who are underdogs and then they win against the against Goliath. You know, the 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 the, uh, the evil people that try to keep you out and not let you win. And he overcame all that with just his heart and soul and his, his talent. And that just got into me because I'm kind of that guy myself. I I um, moved to Hollywood at 19 years old, knowing no one. I was a surfer, still am today. But I um, I came out there to surf and to be in the California sunshine and um uh, found a passion for the entertainment business, started acting and studying really hard. And um, it's what I wanted to do, but I had no help. I had nobody in the business. I had nobody who my family all lived back in South New Jersey. And I just, I, I got kicked in the in the knees and kicked in the chest and and beat up and, and pushed around and bullied. And, and then I still just never gave up because I loved what I did. And uh, you know, I give that message to every kid that wants to be an actor or a filmmaker. Don't listen to anybody. If you want to do it, just do it. As much as as difficult as it is, it's the hardest business in the world. And today it's even worse. But if you love it, as I told my students, I used to teach acting to kids in, in L.A. If you love it, do it and never stop. But if you if you love it for the money and the fame, give up now because those things are are just dreams um, and, unless you have the love for 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 acting or, or you know making movies, if you don't have the love for it, it's never going to happen. Hundred um, percent. And Mr. Hill, did you have a hand in creating uh, or shaping the film at all? And if so, what was it? You know, not you know, not really. Um, I didn't have to. Um, 
when I sat down with Jeff, uh, first of all, let me get this straight. 1978, they came after this movie. That's a long time ago. <laughs> but I had to turn it down. My father was dying right after this happened. After you probably saw the movie. My father passed away three years later. And um, was with pancreas cancer. My mother came down with a brain tumor at the same very time. And no one wants to mess with a film in your life story because my brother wrote the story just for our family, not for anyone else, just our family. But a man in our church took it out to Hollywood and then they wanted to buy my story. And I didn't want to mess with it. But the, the time that came and I when I let it go is when back when Jeff wound up joining us after a couple failed attempts in certain divisions. Um, and so did I really did I really want this to happen? No. No, but you know what? To get the word out there of of um to show children that see, I don't believe in the word dreaming. Hmm. I believe in the word doing and action. It's, it's what you, if you have a desire to want to do, want that, you have to have that desire. And a dream is just a dream. I say things different. A dream is just a dream. And, um, but I wound up meeting this man here. I'll, I'll let him tell you how I met him. Well, Rick, isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that we, I was just thinking about it, that we, you started that movie back in 1978. It went through all the problems we went through to get it made. And then you met me and it's 17 years I went through trying to get it made. And the only time it's coming out is 2023. Think about it. What's going on in the world today? Darkness. Um, everybody's upside down. Everything's a mess. Everybody's separated. And we made a movie that's going to make people feel really good and really up and inspired. And like Sound of Freedom's doing to people, like they see like, you know, the bad guys getting taken care of and the kids are getting returned to their families. And um, all the support for the people in Hawaii today, they're going through that whole thing in Lahaina. All that stuff is happening and people are coming out of the woodwork to help those people over there. I mean, it's it, never before I've seen people trying to reach out to help people. And this movie kind of does that. It kind of wraps its arms around you like a big warm blanket when you when you see it. You know, and I, I was I was going to tell you, Sean, we were in Houston at a screening mm. and a mother came up to me and she was crying and she said, my my uh, autistic son. Um, just watched your film and he now has a passion for baseball you've changed his life and um, like my producer Warren Ostergaard said if every little kid runs out and joins Little League that would be the best thing that ever happened to us you know and that's wow. kind of the that's kind of what we all set out to do right Rick absolutely you know the the love you know you know there's a movie the love of the game uh, with uh, with uh, Kevin Costner and the love of the game, you got to have that love. First of all, if you don't have that love, 
go somewhere else and do something else. You know, go, go, go do whatever you want to do, draw pictures, do whatever it is. But if you don't have the love and passion for baseball, just give it up. Just go do something else. Find something to do. But you got to have the love. Some reason baseball is different from any other sport. You got to have that love. You really do. And 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 saying that, you know, this movie was made for everybody, not just people who, even people who hate sports, because the movie is really about a family and going on the road and what they went through, and a little boy trying to find the love of his father. Yeah, Jeff gave me Jeff gave me a break in the movie where uh, he didn't show about me eating dog food out of a can. But hey, let me tell you, I, I hope that this reaches every child in America. My even my grandchildren were there last night when I threw out the first pitch at the Ranger Stadium. My grandchildren now they look up to their grandpa. You know, I don't want them to look at the grandpa. This is what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to help one another. Thank you so much, Mr. Hill and Mr. Celentano, for chatting with me today. The Hill releases in theaters on August 25th, 2023. So definitely go and check it out. Thanks so much for joining us. You've been listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. To watch our latest reviews of the newest films, DVDs, TV shows, music, and apps, and to learn how you can join our Kids First Film Critics team, go to www.kidsfirst.org. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and look for our reviews on Press for Kids, kidsworld.com, and Kidsville News. This show is produced by the Coalition for Quality Children's Media for Voice America and iHeartRadio. I'm Ashley Clyde from Washington, D.C. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, you know more which movies, TV shows, or digital media to look for, or learned about the talent that worked on or off camera on them, and can make informed decisions about what to watch. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode and tune in again next week.